I don't know how it is for you, but it uh, seems to me that I'm living in my life, which is supposed to be about renunciation and simplicity, and I'm sure it is in, in many ways. It's still, quite a lot of the experience is one of, kind of juggling 12 plates at the same time, throwing yourself in the air, catching a few, crashing down, a few more getting thrown in to the mix, and you're juggling these things, and my plates may be different from your plates, and uh, you know, but is it like that? You know, you've got your your family things and your job things and your personal health and your interests and your things you have to do as a matter of duty to the government or the state or the company or whatever it is. And these sorts of then there's times when you're trying to get three or four of them to have to get to work in the right way, you know, and there's this kind of squeeze to try to get it. So you do spend time with your family and you do manage to get the job done on time and you don't get too stressed out trying to cope with it all and you do remember that, you know, you count as well in all this and somehow, you know, that kind of thing. So it's like often the feeling is one of trying to control in some ways, it's, you know, it's a word that people don't like very much, but sort of manage, supervise, control one's, one's life, one's reality as it comes into reasonably positive or fruitful um, experiences you know and you know, I think for many people you can get this sense of just actually being dragged along behind it like a runaway horse and you've got one foot in the stirrup <laughs> so you know you're sort of with it but actually you're you're lying on the ground the horse is running down the road and you've got one foot in the stirrup getting dragged along <laughs> you know so, well, yeah, you could say I'm riding the horse, I suppose. <laughs> the style is not up to much. <laughs> you know, you can't quite get your foot out of the stirrup, but you can't get on the saddle either. <laughs> yeah, the runaway horse of life. Mm. Yeah. So, I think in that kind of experience, that feeling, you know, somehow being controlled by circumstances, sort of helplessly thrown along, 
you know, most of us will desperately try to get back on the horse and get on top of it all. Yeah. Because the yes, the other option is to actually get your foot out of the stirrup. <laughs> you know, let it, let it let it go. Yeah. That takes a bit of doing. Mostly this is a, the way you work in meditation, you know. As you, you kind of, as you meditate, you can actually feel this kind of running on of topics and events and things we should sort out, you know. And uh, every now and then this nagging thought comes in, you, you must be meditating. <laughs> it should be more focused, more quiet, more peaceful than this, you know. And you get this, this sense of the really trying to, Okay, let's really get back to it, get on top of it all. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe the option is actually to just step back from it all. Rather than understand it or sort it all out, but just that maybe what's needed at some times is just to let it let it run away. You know, just step back from it, let it run, let it run away. Noticing, say, you know, your intention in that is just one of kind of like a coming back into something that's more basic, more primary than this topic-ridden, volitional-driven mind that's always trying to make and do and sort and fix and change and figure out and solve and cure and sort and plan and all that kind of thing. Maybe there's something more basic than that. Yeah. More of something we can actually find uh, uh, ground in our lives. We've found a rest, resting place in our lives. Find a place where we actually can start to stand up. Our own place, you know. And then maybe make a few steps as to what we're going to do. And that we don't have to operate at that speed. And maybe a lot of things we'll just have to let them run their way, you know. Maybe drop a few plates and recognise well, you know, how many do you need to keep going. Maybe some will keep going by themselves, or maybe just some of it you have to say, well, it's not up, you know, I can't fix this, you know, I can't make it. But suddenly, when I find my own ground, my own feet, I realise. No, I didn't, didn't need to, actually. And you can kind of come back again with a bit fresh. So just in, in meditation, we recognize we do at least experiment with that option. You know, your mind is planning, thinking, work, this, that, this, that. You just, what's it like to sort of widen the frame? Oh, this all this is going on. Oh. I feel that uh, you know that 
sometimes a bit of despair even at how untidy it all is, how inconclusive it all is. And just maybe, you know, we have to accept that. Maybe life is just loose ends. A lot of it is loose ends. A lot of it is dying on Wednesday morning. Unresolved, unfinished, incomplete. All kinds of things had to do. Not wash their socks yet. You know, that's you Maybe that's kind of what, what it's, that's the reality we're in. And the unfinished. And that there's a place where we kind of can always finish our lives or begin our lives or find our lives in themselves as that which is not caught up with events and pressures. Not caught up with solutions and answers. Not caught up with making or changing, but something timeless. You know, come back to. And we experiment with this in meditation. You begin to see, perhaps, when you, you relax, come back into your body, or just, just acknowledge the, the push and the pull and the, the energy of all that, of that push and pull and I mean, it seems to me that as soon as one actually comes out of the topics, which are always extremely bright and poignant, the topics, you know, the, the dramas, the issues, the pressures, the urgencies, the nagging, worrying, fretful things, you know, have got sort of incredible magnetic intensity to them. And they keep pulling in. Without really having to, you know, it's not. It's, it's the energy of that, not the topic itself, but the energy of it, the pull of it, the way it tightens, the way most of us find, my find that, you know, you come to some topic that really closes your attention down to this one particular point that then becomes incredibly intense. You know, and it worries and it digs in. And the funny thing is, of course, that part of one, you know, sometimes I really enjoy that. You know, that sense of really getting onto the particular piece of detail that I'm good at, that I enjoy doing. You know, I like that kind of tumbling down. The world disappears, and I'm on my little joy spot, the bit I can do. You know, my little habit, my little hobby, my little thought I really enjoy fondling and getting into, you know. But then you pay for it in the end because you develop the mind that tends to always look for points, look for details, look for something to get buried into, something to get anchored onto, something that will pr promises to provide the joy, the fulfilment, the clarity, the resolution, the creative result that will and sometimes it does. And you get this, ah, and then do another one. <laughs> you know, it's rather like you know the the you saw the uh, that Fantasia film, and then it was this was done many many years ago. But sometimes they replay it. It's a kind of animation, and in it is one episode in this film Fantasia, which is. Um, of the sorcerer's apprentice, you know. So the sorcerer, 
magician and he has an apprentice and uh, who doesn't really know what he's doing. And the sorcerer goes out for an errand of some kind and the apprentice thinks, oh, he's got to do all the sweeping and the, you know, mopping the floor and everything. And he finds that where there's this book of spells and how he can conjure up a, you know, the spell, he can get these brooms to sweep the floor for him. He won't have to do anything. And he can get them to pick up the buckets of water and, and fill the, the trough. So he does. So these brooms happily start sweeping and bringing water in. But he realises he doesn't know how to stop it. They just fill, the room gradually fills with water. Everything's underwater. And he starts chopping the brooms up. And every time he chops a broom up, it becomes two brooms and four brooms and eight brooms. They're all doing the same thing. The thing is completely out of control. It's rather like, it's a very good image of the, to my, my sense of, of what the mind can do. You know, you know how we know how to create and make more, but sometimes we don't know how to switch it off. Yeah. And then in the, in the film, the sorcerer comes back and goes, ah, you know, spell, throw some spell, everything stops, you know. And then gives the, the apprentice a kind of boot up the backside or something. <laughs> yeah, the mind, what, how ingenious, how brilliant it is at creating and devising and figuring and planning and organizing and remembering can you switch it off? When does eventually it just become so that your own house is just flooded with all this stuff? And yet still there comes the fever to have one more thing, you know? And how busy we can get with that. And at first it's fun, and then it kind of snowballs, you get caught in it. Yeah. And but whether it's enjoyable, or painful, you know, and of course it's an energy that we, that's what the mind is about, so yes, this is what it does, this is what we can do with it, fine, excellent, wonderful tool, know how to switch it off though, that's the point, so you can, you, you know that through really knowing that particular energy that, that focuses, you know, holds an object and there's an in, there are two qualities that go with that one's called intention which is the motivation ah. of course sometimes the motivation is irritable like ah. you know it really bothers me and you kind of get focused on that this little thing that's bothering you becomes the whole world yeah or it's a problem and with that volition it's quite that impulse always assumes that you get the right result by getting more and more intensely focused on it. Yeah. You know, the more I get kind of focused on this topic, this project, this idea, this problem, I'll find the way through it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's intention. Attention is the, the ability of the mind to, to sustain an object, to actually focus and hold something. So you work with these in meditation. You know, what's a skillful kind of intention just to pick something up with a certain sense of interest but not 
impassioned. Just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just learn how to pick something up, pick up your breath, pick up the feeling in your body, pick up something skillful in your mind and hold it. Just let it you know, form by itself. So often, personally, when I meditate, I just sort of sit. I don't really have a big anything particular in mind. Well, I do have all sorts of things, but nothing, um, you know, I don't have a meditation theme in mind, just sit. Then start to feel what's happening. Feel the body, just be present with that. And then start to work on that, that in the, the way the mind operates. Like it's kind of jumping to conclusions, trying to get something done, trying to quiet down, trying to sort something out and just... Ooh, you know, this is not the right kind of intention. It's too, it's already too, too um, running too fast. I remember some time ago I had a quite interesting realization because uh, I was with uh, doing a bit of a group practice. And one of the questions that was coming up was, what's the most important? Ask yourself, what's the most important, really the most important thing to find? Most important thing right now. What's the most important thing right now? Most important thing. What's the most important thing? So I sat for quite a while with this meditation. What's the really the most important thing in my life at this moment? The most important thing. The most important thing. I find the most important. And realize the most important thing is relax. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, because as soon as you say something important, immediately, you know, my mind sort of starts to write, we're going to get really intensely focused on this thing. But when you look at it more holistically, what does that feel like? And say, well, the right, most important thing, the really, really urgent thing you've got to do right now is. Relax. Oh, yeah. Huh. <laughs> you know, it's actually handle that energy which drives us on, which drives us in, which seeds our attention in a particular theme, a particular topic, a particular concern, a particular pleasure, a particular pain. Seeds our attention in it, and then it starts just proliferating and weaving like the sorcerer's apprentice and building up and building up and that becomes the world doesn't it so you may notice this in meditation this kind of you know there's this moving around and suddenly something triggers and your mind goes into that and starts building it up building it up building it up till you know within five or ten minutes there's this thing your your life your reality is suddenly all crystallizing around this some kind of Something that happened ten years ago, even you know, this little grudge or da 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 da, da you know, and how you didn't, and how you never, and da, da da da. Wow! And then you know, there can be that moment you realise it. Wow! You step back, and this thing just kind of dissolves. Whew. Really, I think that's pretty. That's often the way it goes, isn't it? It's through actually hitting some of these places in yourself, which are so evocative that your attention gets gripped 
you just see how much your mind can make out of that with just intense interest and attention and just then just stepping back and seeing the whole thing kind of bloop. <laughs> wow. And maybe we have to do that quite a bit, you know, kind of this is where you see sort of cleaning out the karma. You can begin to witness the karma, the mental activity, creating something in which one becomes extremely involved, extremely configured as the responsible or the offended or I've got to do this or whatever it is. And then drop that piece of drama and your foot's out in the stirrup. Thing runs down the road and disappears. Wow. Isn't it nice to just imagine that um, really our, our practice is almost going in the opposite direction than forward. We're almost going backwards to Nibbana, dropping our world to, to rather than getting on top of it, but dropping it, recognizing it is that which can be dropped. And in that is where you begin to get some sense of stewardship of your world. I won't say control, but certainly being able to steward it and say, well, wait a minute, let's just before we go into this, what's, what's the quality of the impulse? What's the quality of the intention? Is it, uh, is it something actually I can even recognize? Sometimes the, one's mind is gripped so rapidly that we don't even know you know, we can't even, just kind of suddenly you're in there and don't recognize the, the flavor or the, the intensity of the feeling that's caught you. You know, often it's a kind of like a mild panic. Seems to me quite a lot of our mental twitch, mental reaction, just these kind of bursts of something like a mild panic rush into this, jump into that really got to say this, really got to do this, really got to get on with that, really going to set her straight, really going to, you know, that's not right, you know. Ooh. And it's, it's a, this real, and of course conviction comes with the intensity of the feeling. So intention, this kind of quality of, of the impulse, the, the the energy that moves towards things. And then notice the, you can actually just, without denying there are topics, there are his, there's history, there's karma, there's things we need to do, there's things that are, just, just taking a bit more time over how we move into action, how we move into a world. Because that's, you're getting on the horse then. And it's going to run. So you want to make sure if you're going to get on it, you're going to get in the saddle. Yeah. It's going in the right direction and you can get off it when you need to. <laughs> Otherwise it's going to be running you, isn't it?
one of the most, uh, uh, let's say, kind of challenging uh, pieces of information that we, you know, you can check out is the nature of of, of uh, what what we come into contact with. Uh, we can see things with the eyes, we hear things with the ears, we can smell things with the nose, touch things. And we think that message that we receive is a true representation, a true message. What I see actually is what's there. What I touch with my fingers is actually exactly what's there. What I hear through my ears is exactly the sound. And what I think, what I, what I recognize with my mind is actually a true representation of an event. Um, now, the interesting thing is that most of us will probably recognize, well, I don't know about your eyes, my eyes aren't so good anymore anyway. No. So some things are a bit fuzzy. Um, I'm prepared to accept that, you know, I always have colour differentiation problems uh, between browns and greens. Sometimes I can't quite tell whether something's brown or green. I know that, you know, so I have to ask someone, you know, or if I need to. I remember one time I was giving this kind of, I had this scarf, nice rich chestnut brown scarf I used to wear. Okay, and uh, I was teaching the, the monks the training rules. I said, you know, we've got to make sure all our robes are brown, you see. And brown robes. You, know, you don't want to get any other colours but brown. That's the proper colour for monks. It was looking a bit askance. Because the scarf I had in, which was brown to me, was actually bright green. You know, I was proclaiming this kind of <laughs> orthodoxy of brown. <laughs> this bright green scarf on. <laughs> Since then, I <laughs> kind of check other people. Is that right? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> even reds start, reds often look much duller to me. They look more like, um, you know, when, when other people see things as bright red, I see them as kind of chestnut color, not quite so bright. Yeah. So after a while, I mean, I can't see anything other way. That's the way I have to see it. That's where my eyes are. But then I'm prepared to kind of, you know, well, you know, that the contact is not an accurate or shared one. Hmm? It comes to the mind. And you realize, you realize that's all you've got. <laughs> when it comes to the mind, which is actually really the big GHQ, the headquarters of our life, isn't it? And that's really what you got. It's difficult to, to consider that perhaps it, it's not really <laughs> picking things up in true. <laughs> and, it, 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 and actually, it's not the case that it's, it's in true, but it's just that it is subjective. You know, what my mind can attend to what it can actually discern. is limited. So, I, you know, in the community, this, of course, is one of the shocking revelations. You get, say, 15 people, 
who see oh, they're all good, clear, you know, trying the best they can, actually can experience things in quite different ways as to what is friendly, comfortable, peaceful, supportive, or unsupportive. You know, these which are very important, aren't they? And they're, they're all of these very important experiences are mental. You look in, you know, in this hall, is it big, small? Is it quiet, noisy? Is it full of people or mostly empty? And you come to this monastery, is it, uh, to me this afternoon, it was suddenly a very pleasant place. I was sitting out on the lawn just watching the leaves of the trees being blown around gently in the wind. Oh, what a great, lovely place. What a beautiful, peaceful, nothing happening, peaceful, quiet, tranquil place. You asked me three hours before what it was like. I said, oh, God, this place. I'm up to here with it, you know. <laughs> so at that particular time, the perceptions were like that. And that's all we have to go on. And out of that perception... That's, we say that's that's where I am. That's the reality. Because what else have you got? Yeah. And you meet people and say, oh, you know, it's, it's also one of those really interesting um, situations. Somebody says, oh, da da da, Janice, 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 who? Oh, you know, Janice. She comes quite often. Oh, yeah, sort of middle-aged woman. Oh, I don't know, Janice, middle-aged woman. Yeah, sits at the back. Sits at the back. Middle-aged woman. Yeah, she's kind of. Sort of black hair with glasses, black hair glasses. I don't know anybody like that. And then I meet, <laughs> I meet this woman. Oh, Janice, you mean the woman who wears those strange shoes and <laughs> always looks happy listening to a dumb talk? That Janice, you know, the things you see and recognise. Yeah. So something in me has picked up certain features. It's it's almost without me deciding, it's, it's selected certain features that are striking to me and ignored others. The eyes haven't done that. The mind has done it. The eyes have seen probably the whole thing, but the mind has, oh, that's not important, that's interesting, that's different, that's unusual, that's memorable. And it's made that, that's the contact I have. You know? And, you know, as you recognise in your life, you know, when you get some a woman who's your mother, that, that impression, that mother impression and all that, that's, that's who she is. And she's stuck with that. <laughs> she can't be anything else but that. And you tend to see her in those terms. And, uh, you yeah. know, so we see each other in terms of roles or functions, um, relationships. And of course, all of us are can be those things, and yet it's not the total story, is it? We can, we're also beyond that. We're also more than that. Yeah. And yet we, so what we see, or what we hold, the impression we have, is very much, even if it's, it's not wrong, it's just it's a limited, and it tells us something about how our own mind, the things that our own mind is attuned to, selects, finds significant, finds it lodges, and that builds up our world. That's called contact. And it's not 
an ultimate representation. It's a personal memo that my mind is making about what's going on. And it can't do anything other than that. It has to keep doing that. But the chances of it being the same as somebody else's memo are really not that great. Do you get it? Do you know what this means? (laughs) I know what it means. Suddenly the trajectories of the way we interpret things and wow, really quite different. But what it also means, you know, experience is not, wow, she's crazy. He's a nutcase. What a weirdo for seeing things like that. I don't get it at all. It's just the recognition of wow. Mm. This is where this is all we have are these subjective ideograms, subjective images, and they don't quite fit. So let's step back. Let's step back. You know, the act of faith, the act of truthfulness. The one act of truthfulness that we can all make is we can step back from our reality and say, hmm, that's the way I see it. That's the way it feels for me. Hmm. You know, put it there. Now this is, uh, to me this is really how you kind of uh, gain or find control or find your own ground. And it's not going to be the perceptions, the impressions of your mind are not reliable. You know, they're they're, they're useful, but they're not something you really want to take a stand on. The impulses of your mind can be useful, valid, helpful, a bit off, whatever, you don't want to make a stand on them. What your mind attends to could be helpful, part of your duty, but you don't want to make a stand on that. And, you know, well, what else is there to take a stand on? This is why we meditate, because we come to something that's not about an impulse, not about an object, not about an impression, not about a perception, not about something we, we are or, or have, but something that's stepped out of that. And it has no particular quality, no particular sign to it. It's not happy, it's not unhappy. There's no, because that's a perception, that's an impression, which may of course occur. It's not something we've gained, because that's an impulse, that's an intention. Yeah. All we can know is it enables us to know these apparent realities of our world as, hmm, maybe so. Don't grasp it blindly. 
use it skillfully, pull the horse back, feed it, calm it down, jump on it, ride it, get off it, you know, know how to operate it. It gives us a way of actually being in charge of our life rather than being charged by it. Meditation, it's the way where finally we find time. You know, I guess for many people just having time to meditate is already a kind of a, a, a problem. You know, getting the time to meditate. But uh, what, you know, perhaps the piece to grasp, the piece to catch, the piece to remember, is that it could be, in some ways it could be very little time in terms of the clock that's needed. You know, we think a good time is actually an objective medium, like it's now six minutes past nine, because this little, little gadget over here has got these numbers on it. You know, that's time. And there's so many hours a day, and at ten past ten I've got to do this or that or the other, and tomorrow morning, so that's time. That's not time. That's just numbers. Time is the driven quality of the mind. Time is that push. Time is the pull that you feel in your nerves. Time is the push and the pull. Now, if, if you just can, for a moment, even just relax that push and pull, you have time to meditate because you've actually, you know, you've, you've grasped hold of time and turned it around. Instead of being driven by time, by tomorrow and Thursday and September and winter time and this, that and the other, you, you've actually controlled it. You know? It's just that the push could be Hurry up, could be anxiety, could be why do things take so long, why are things so slow, why don't we get this finished with, or it could be things are going too fast. It's the push, pull, drag, hold in the mind in terms of becoming, you know, becoming something, which is the ongoing impulse to make, to make something be to make something come into being. And sometimes we rush into that, and sometimes we fret and fume because it's not happening fast enough. And yet, you know, any movement on that is going to be something where you're, you're getting dragged again. You, know, you see, the, really in this teaching we find a sense of coming out of time. So these are, I think, these are important things to even you know, conceive of. That that there can be a freedom from time. So that you know, you don't have to meditate for an hour, or at six o'clock, or at seven thirty, or how long can you do it? That's still the same old drive, isn't it? But now, can you actually feel the pull or the drag? in your nerves and relax. 
Yeah. And from that, we just this is this is a kind of basic, you know, the basic meditation, you might say. What we can do. And then what gets really interesting is then from there, how do you handle this apparent world of places and people and events and and things to do and things not to do? How do you manage it from there? does it get managed from there? When I started meditation I thought maybe a couple of weeks of this would do me some good that would be enough and I could get back on the track again but I just noticed every you know, so I thought well the best way I can do this in the monastery all I could recognise is that every impulse I had to get out of the monastery didn't feel good. It wasn't the stay in the monastery was good. It wasn't I had some great this is it kind of feeling, but every impulse to get out of it just felt like, oh, that's restlessness, that's a fantasy, that's boredom, that's negativity, you can't follow that. Yeah. And just coming back to the ground, coming back to, uh-huh, coming back to the, the basic ground, coming back. And you finally find your life is forming in this particular way. Forming in this particular way. Yeah. And so after about three or four years of it, I said, oh, I suppose it looks like I'm a monk, I suppose. <laughs> I guess since I've been wearing these robes and doing that, I'd better call myself a Buddhist monk. You know, you actually find yourself being formed through that response. Well, I said what I found that response to the to to the what the mind is doing. You know? And it's not because I noticed that most everyone else in this monastery who who joined at this time, they all had this feeling of, yeah, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna get to this, I'm gonna get to be a monk, I'm gonna make it like this. And every one of them left after about three weeks. Because, you know, the idea of being a monk you know, you're peaceful and tranquil and, you know, so I think whatever their ideas were, didn't, you know, that was a purely subjective series of impressions and ideas and aspirations and fantasies and wishes that actually made it very difficult to deal with the reality of dullness, fatigue, irritation, <laughs> frustration, you know, because you always, instead of dropping you're trying to make something like this become something like that instead of just learning, just drop this, just drop this. Drop. Things will take care of themselves. Just drop the stuff that you're holding, that you're pulled into, and your life starts to form in its own way. So it's really interesting that like a sense of balance in one's life can occur through not controlling it but really just controlling that 
which creates your world. Learning to moderate that, learning to step back from that. And seeing something more real and mysterious arises out of that ground. And really, though, all of us, uh, we, you know, the way it feels is there's five or six different levels of things to deal with, and some are pleasant, some are a bit knotty, some are difficult, some are interesting, some are exciting. Actually, there's only one thing to deal with, fundamental, only one thing we can deal with, which is just this quality of intention, contact, attention, just the way our mind runs into that. If you can deal with that, you can deal with the world. 